Welcome to the, the Get, Get Together. This is our show about ordinary people building extraordinary communities. I'm your host today, Kevin Huynh. I'm a partner at People and Company and a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People. And I'm Marjorie Anderson, Get Together correspondent, founder of Community by Association and product manager for community at Project Management Institute. Each episode, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to hundreds, thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Sophie Mona Paget, founder of Lovers and Friends, a supportive community that enables authentic conversations about relationships and intimacy. Marjorie, what is one thing you learned from our conversation today with Sophie? What I really enjoyed about Sophie's interview is how much she stressed the importance of your community having shared values, entering a space where you know that the people who are there value the same things that you do, whether that be authenticity, open-mindedness, etc., really sets the stage for how comfortable community members feel contributing and participating in that space. Failure to ensure that everyone is there for the same reasons can cause communities to fall apart. And she's been incredibly intentional about ensuring that doesn't happen, which is phenomenal. Uh, thank you for sharing. I agree. Like her, her level of intention was something that I definitely respected as we listened to her during the conversation and afterwards. For sure. Rad. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Woohoo. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sophie. It is such a joy to have you on the podcast today. I'm so happy that you're able to join us and talk a little bit about your community. Thank you so much, Marjorie. Thank you, Gavin, for having me. It's a great pleasure for me too. So lovers and friends, let's talk about that. It's a, it's a <laughs> unique community. Um, and for those who aren't aware of it, tell us a little bit more about its purpose and why it was important to you to start this community. It's a community um, whose purpose is uh, for people to live fulfilling relationships. Um, and this being said, something that we do that is super important at Lovers and Friends is that we we want to offer a space that is safe for every of our members to be their authentic self um, because we believe that's, you know, something necessary if you want to connect in a meaningful way with one another. And it's uh, something that's super important um, to me because I have quite a complex identity and um, I have been growing up feeling a bit, um, I would say, weird. And uh, I've always felt like I needed to find my people and find support with my people. And in a way, I guess that's something that um, I decided to create uh, with Lovers and Friends. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about um, about the history of Lovers and Friends. You know, when we were talking, you mentioned that it started out as a face-to-face -face event, you know, as a mixer that you held. Yes. Tell us what that first meeting was like and, you know, who did you invite and why? Um, interestingly, when I started uh, Lovers and Friends, um, what I had in mind was to connect people that were into alternative relationship styles um, because um, I am myself and I've found it uh, very difficult to find people like me within this like specific interest because the outlets uh, that exist when it comes to this for me felt too sex focused. 
I wanted something that was more about connecting with one another, having conversations. Um, so I had this idea of doing a, a social mixer because I wanted people to feel like they're going to a friend's party where, so what I would tell people at the beginning, actually my pitch, I would say, imagine you're my friend and I invite you to have a, a drinks in a bar with other friends of mine. So that's, that was really the basis of what I did to make people feel comfortable and feel they would be meeting people they could trust. The people that were here at the first social, social mixer, uh, so they were 20. And I remember what I did was I would just go on dating apps, find people that I would be actually happy to spend a, a, an evening with. And, wow. um, yes. And at the time, uh, I had a form, an online form that people had to fill in because it was super important for me to gather those guests around shared values. And um, also the same intent. I would ask them to fill in the form. And based on that, I had shortlisted a list of, uh, of guests. And uh, to validate their attendance, really, I, 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 would, um, I spent like a 15-minute video call with each of them. And, uh, and that's how we started. So that's how I had those 20 people. Um, those 20 people, they, I think looking back now, they're quite representative of my group of friends, meaning that they were like a group of quite diverse people when it comes to gender identity, sexual orientation, race, even age. I think we had people from like, I think maybe 25 to 50 or something like that. And yeah, it was, it, it was really a, a great night. Uh, people clicked. I was a bit scared a few hours before because I worked a lot to get this list of people. And then, I don't know, the afternoon of the event, I realized uh, that it would maybe be a challenge to get them to talk to one another. Uh, <laughs> so what I did is that on the form that they had to fill in, they shared some fun facts about themselves. And I had the idea of writing those fun facts on, on cards. And so when they arrived, I would give each of them a card about someone else. And I asked them to find the person behind the card. And that proved to be quite efficient to get them to talk to one another. That's awesome. You know, I was thinking about that as you were talking about who it was that showed up for this event. And you you're saying that it was you know, between 25 and 50. And I was wondering how how you how you got people to feel like they were welcome in this space with such a diverse group of folks who showed up at this gathering. And then sometimes that can be a challenge in communities. So I'm wondering how you tackled that, you know, outside of the icebreaker, you know, how did you, how did you help these folks feel welcome when they first started, when you had your first mixer? I think what helped was also the fact that it was a, a tiny group. So 20, pers uh, 20 people is not, is not crazy. You don't feel like you're at a trade show. Also something that is super important is the, the venue. So it was in a, in a tiny bar in East London and we had a space dedicated to us. So I think the way it would happen, I was here to welcome each and every one of them. I would show them around, but like, you know, it's not a Versailles. It was very straightforward. It was like, okay, basically we are here. And mm -hmm. I would tell them, feel free to speak to anyone you, speak, you want to speak to. Here you're safe. These are people who are here like you. And um, I would give them this fun fact card, which was you know, we had like quite 
<laughs> a bunch of interesting fun facts, which was already putting a smile on everybody arriving. Um, and also I would tell them, if you need anything, you can always come back to see me. I think I'll be quite uh, on my own during the event because I'm hosting. So any moment you feel to come back to me, I'll be happy that you join and we can have a chat, etc. So, um, yeah, in a way it felt like being, um, you know, it's, it's all about hospitality and it's something that I, that I, I think is like runs in my family. I'm, I'm half Moroccan, uh, half French in, like, in, in Morocco. We really have uh, this sense of like making people feel welcome, making feel people at home. So I always try whatever I do to find a balance between being professional. So, um, you know, like giving you this feel that things are taking taking um, care of in a professional way. But at the same time, I really think about, okay, how can I make people feel this is home? And um, yeah, so I think that, that that's the secret sauce here. Sophie, you mentioned that you grew up feeling weird. Yeah. Um, how, how, tell me a little bit more about that and how that connects to this, um, the, this idea of, of creating a space where more people feel welcome. Okay. Uh, in many ways. Uh, first, um, I was born in Morocco. I moved to France when I was four. Um, so I think that, you know, uh, having to like, like leave my, my, the country where I was born, uh, where my whole family was because what, so my first year I was so in Morocco with my Moroccan family, mostly my dad was French. My mom is Moroccan. So I was, um, really like in this community made of like my family, my cousins, aunties, aunts, etc., friends, da, da, da. my parents had a very rich social life. Uh, they would play bridge, which, which is a card game. Uh, they would socialize a lot. We would always have dinners at home, etc etc. And uh, we had to move to France uh, for, because of my, my dad's work. He, he was a teacher and he was given no choice but to get back to France. So he had to move on his own. And then with my mom, we could only join him like maybe a year later. So I think it had quite an impact about like, you know, this feeling like there is something uneasy, something weird going on. And so here I was moving to France and Basically, when we moved to France, it was like a total shock to me because we, we moved into this tiny village uh, where we knew no one and people would look at us like, okay, these are the Arabs. Um, so when I was like my first days at school, I experienced racism because I, I was speaking Arabic and I was speaking French fluently. So I decided to sp stop speaking Arabic because I don't know what was going on. And I felt I was threatened in a way. Um, also another thing is, um, my mom and dad, they had like a 25 year age gap. So when people would see my dad with me, they would think it was my granddad. Uh, so there were a lot of things where it was like, okay, you don't fit uh, in here. Um, also like the dual heritage, you know, Morocco, Islam, uh, France, all these things. Um, that, that was quite a, a lot of things. And then also, I guess growing up, um, like in my family, I wouldn't say I had a, I had a happy childhood. Like I had a very strong relationship with my dad, but then my mom was having a, well, she still has like quite a lot of, um, mental health issues, which were putting a toll on, on, on the family. And, um, 
you know, you feel when you leave those things and you watch TV and you hear people like living normal, like, you know, into bracket lives, you feel like, okay, what's going on here is not normal. So maybe I shouldn't talk about it so much. Um, what is going on? And then you kind of isolate yourself maybe more. So um, when you look at the friends I had back in, like on those times, I had maybe like one friend and it, I would always be friends with the weirdos basically in the class. <laughs> so that was basically the the thing and i think also i i kind of realized that growing up this thing that made me feel weird i i decided to accept them as tr- strength and so i kept having this like feeling of being weird but i embraced it basically mm-hmm. and i think embracing it this made me make some choices in my life where I was like, oh, whatever, I'll keep doing that because this is me and and that's okay. And so if you look at like my curriculum, my professional curriculum, I did like many jobs. When I tell people, they're like, okay, you're crazy. But it's like, I like it now, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, there's a nice little tie-in with, um, you know, uh, celebrating even the fun facts about uh, your guests at that first meeting. And that to me, that's a, that's a small you know, it's a small step to celebrating and embracing the quote unquote weird yeah. uh, among people and setting that sort of tone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it also, it also sounds like, um, the basis of being authentic and having those authentic ty- types of relationships because of those experiences really kind of mm. the crux of why you started lovers and friends and why it was important to you that people meet and have these conversations in authentic ways versus putting on a mask and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be someone else in order to, in order to cultivate the kinds of relationships that they want. Yes. Yeah. Because I think, um, you know, when I when I look at it, for me, someone who will uh, not share their weirdness because they think they will be looked at in a in in a way that's like they will be excluded or whatever. I feel like society is losing something. If if you have someone at your table and they don't share what make what make them different, you're losing on something. So. I think one of the purpose I have in life is to create those spaces where people will share what what is interesting about them, why they are different. That's that's really something super important to me. That's that's really amazing. You know, I'm all for the weird people. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let's weird folks unite. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So after after this first meeting, you had this first meetup, people came, they participated. How did you know that you were on to something after that first meetup? You know, was it, was it something that the attendees said or did that let you know that you really had something here and that you were you're going to be able to 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 create a community out of this gathering? So, well, we were in a bar, as I said earlier, and um, when the bar asked us to leave because they were closing, there were still, I think, maybe 15 of us out of the 20 uh, being like, OK, what do we do now? And we just went to like next door, there was a, this, this nightclub and we just went dancing until, I don't know, maybe 4 a.m. in the morning or something like that. So I thought, okay, there is something going on here. And then it's, it's hearing the feedback um, from people telling me, 
wow, uh, I, I, I felt like people are like me. That was so nice to actually speak to people in a way that's judgment-free. Um, I'm not alone anymore. It's, it's all this, like, uh, this, this relationship that flourished and the, those amazing feedback that made me understand that we got something right in the sense that we, I really managed, and we really managed because everyone was part of that, we really managed to create this space which was safe and where people really connected in, uh, in beautiful ways. And everybody wanted more. People were, were asking me, okay, when's the next one? And I wanted more as well. So that's how I felt we were onto something. It sounds like there, you know, there were definitely others out there. And I think that that's probably true in a lot of situations where people are looking for a safe space to have conversations about relationships and identity without having there be some sort of expectation of, you know, quote unquote, something more Mm. coming out of it. You know, just a conversation like you're having a conversation with a friend about who you're dating or how you identify or, you Mm. know, things that you're thinking about or or feeling. So, um, you know... I can definitely say as someone who is, you know, part of the LGBT community that finding those spaces is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me how, tell us how people find your community. What's, you know, what's usually the thing that helps get them involved or helps them find lovers and friends and start participating? At the moment, it's really a word of mouth. Um, so we have a, a lot of members joining because they're lovers and friends who, who are members told them about us. Um, and also um, Instagram works quite well because we, we like to put to post content, sharing members' quotes, members' questions. We try to have conversation on Instagram as well with our, like the community here. So that's, that's how people find us. Um, or we also, we are also super lucky to have members who are as our guests, like seen as Instagram influencers and who uh, share about their experience, um, being a, a member of lovers and friends, which is great because, um, in a way that helps people see what is lovers and friends through their eyes, uh, which is interesting because I guess you can have so many experiences of being a member of lovers and friends depending on on your own uh, identity. You started this community back in 2018, I think you said. Yes. And you know, there's this this beautiful way that you bring people together in this face-to-face setting that really lets them get to know one another, have authentic conversations, be themselves. Um, and then wouldn't you know it, 2020 brings us a global pandemic <laughs> and you're Here no longer. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, world, the world changed a little bit. Someone said that to me, like recently I was like, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, it, it took, it took that safe space that you created in, in a face-to-face environment where you're able to quickly, um, you know, create that, that feeling of safety for people and, you now had to move this online where, you know, you, you, it's sometimes hard to tell what the intent of people of a person is, um, in an online space. So talk to us a little bit about how you kind of navigated creating that safe and welcoming environment for members in an online space where a lot of times those types of conversations in online spaces is not, is not supported in ways that, um, that, that help people feel like they, they have some safety. 
Are we talking about Twitter? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not naming any names. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I think um, just to just to um, clarify one thing that's quite interesting is at the time of uh, hosting those social mixers, I think uh, we had quite uh, a part of the people attending who were attending with like a major intent, which was to connect people and maybe a minor intent of um, having those conversations. And I feel what happened and that's how we've been successful. And in a way, having to go online helped us on that. And I feel grateful for this is that um, moving online, there has been a switch where now people join us because this community, this supportive community aspect is really um, enhanced. And um, in terms of how did this happen, uh, it's quite interesting because it all happened in like a day. There's been this this trigger where um, we had an event planned uh, mid-March, which was like a social mixer. And at the time, I was thinking that as a community leader, I was not comfortable at all about having people join a, an event, like a, meet each other and potentially be a cluster for the virus. So I decided to cancel this event. And at the same time, we had one of our members who was uh, locked down in Milan for like already two weeks. And I had conversation with him about, you know, how difficult it was to be isolated like that, um, where, you know, it's interesting looking back now, he was basically telling me, hey, I'm your future. Uh, this is what's going to happen to you. And he also was telling me about the difficulties that he was encountering because his partner, who was in Berlin at the time, he didn't know basically how to keep things central, when they would meet each other again, and that was putting um, a toll on their relationship. And so here I was canceling this event and thinking about him and realizing that that's the that's where the community should step in, helping one of, of, of its member, basically. And so on that day, I suggested to him that we all jump on a, a Google Meet at the time to just like give him some support and see how we can help. And uh, he agreed to the idea. So I told the people who were supposed to come to the social mixer that night that uh, I was suggesting this instead. Everybody was super supportive, really interested to join. And that's how we had our first online event that really gave us the direction that was the impulse that um, was fundamental to what Lovers and Friends is now. And I guess after that, what we did is that we just kept uh, listening to our members, to their needs, to what they wanted to do. We experimented based on what they wanted to do, what they were expecting from the community. And uh, and that's how we managed to to keep things flourishing. And I feel actually now looking back that before we had a, a community, but that was more ephemeral. I would feel the community when we have, when we had those mixers, but then in between there wasn't really anything like you, you would have like members uh, meeting and telling me about it, but we didn't really have like this space where you could feel that the community was here 24 seven on call to help and which, which was existing. And it's like if before we had like, the community was like a flower who would bloom and then fade. 
And like now we have like this solid bush of like flowers solidly rooted because the community is here. And I know that if a member needs help from the community, we have what's, we have the, the, the features that they need to like say, Hey, I want to talk about this. or I want to talk about that. And the community will be here, will be present to help. And that's really like the meaning of community, right? It's, it's yes. evergreen and it will always, you know, be there too to assist its community members. But there was one thing that you said that I thought was really, really interesting. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about if if there's something there. But you you talked about how, you know, the community members had one focus and one primary intent for gathering when you were face-to-face and that flipped to um, making sure that they were able to have conversations around identity and, and relationships and things in a safe space when you went to the online community. And when you saw that happen or when you noticed that that happened, did you happen to notice if there was any sort of dynamic change in the and in, in who came to those gatherings now that they were online and, and the, the nature of those online gatherings um, seemed to evolve as the community really understood what their needs were in this online space going from that face-to-face meeting? Yes, of course. Um, of course. I, I think what happened is that when you look at the design of an online event, you always have this possibility for um, immediate gratification because people are here. So if you want to, I don't know, like, leave the the venue and go to a hotel room with someone, you have this possibility. Um, if you want to go and party all night with someone, you have this possibility. But now that we are online, it's more something in a way it's, it's, um, yeah, it's something that requires more effort to develop those relationships that you will have with, with one another. So naturally we had seen members leaving for those reasons, because I think they are more into, you know, the immediate gratification of meeting someone offline, um, the immediate results of that. And also, I guess we had some members leaving just because they're not that uh, comfortable with the online setup, which I, I totally understand. Um, and then inversely, we had people joining and or even like people being like members being more active than they used to be because they love the this online setup where you get to you get to to talk and everything is really like conversation focused and we can answer questions, dig deeper, um, connect over 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 the questions we have, helping each other out like that. And interestingly, I think it's still um, I was thinking about this recently. I feel like it has an even, an even a better impact in a way in terms of uh, creating relationship. Because if you come to, to our events and you see someone on a regular basis and you hear them sharing their uh, opinion on some topics and you see, you see how they behave to something, it's like discovering this person in this context and getting to know the person. And you build a certain intimacy part of the group then, then if, that you can take one-on-one if you want which is super interesting and it's a bit counterintuitive but i feel like the 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 outcome is beautiful sophie what what have you learned about you know starting and facilitating conversations online i think when we talk to other leaders who may have done a lot of um kind of in-person gatherings in-person get-togethers and are thinking about starting an online watering hole an online space 
there's a lot of um, there's nerves around putting people in the space and, and nothing happening. You know, putting people in the space and and hoping conversation <laughs> will flourish, but you know, crickets. Uh, what what have you learned about um, you know facilitating, starting, prompting conversations with your community um, online? Uh, <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is that when I was a kid, uh, at some point I wanted to be a, a TV show host. <laughs> and like, now I'm like, oh my God, this is so exhausting. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, be- <laughs> because like, <laughs> sometimes like I, I, I found myself in the situation where I'm like, oh my God, it feels like I'm this TV show host I wanted to be, but why did I want it to be this? It's horrible. <laughs> Um, and also because, okay, nobody will believe that, but I'm quite a shy person. Um, so <laughs> being in this situation, uh, the first thing is that it's super uh, scary um, because when I was hosting these offline events, I would welcome people, I would send them in the room full of strength and I would be like, hey, I'm here, I got your back if you need me. And I would just observe the room, make sure that everything was fine. But like now coming online, uh, here I was in this like uh, tight view of people's faces all looking at me and that's totally different um what i would say about that is i think it's uh it's 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 great to um encourage um people to be themselves um so welcome extroverts introverts and like everything in between everybody in between in, in, in the spectrum uh giving like to to really make people feel comfortable that uh it's okay not to speak showing off is great um if you if you if you're quite vocal pay attention of your airtime why don't you invite someone to speak if you see that someone wants to speak but they're a bit hesitant so um, in a way you, you like empowering people to to make them understand that everybody is a host in a way um also i would say another thing that's that that i i i very regularly uh, remind to people when we have uh, those online conversation is awkward silences are great uh we love them and uh there is no problem about those because sometimes i think you need that and you need people to be comfortable even when there is a silence because it's a great opportunity for them to reflect, for them to, I don't know, look at each other, appreciate what's going on, you know, be rooted in the moment. Um, so I think it's about reassuring people, empowering them. And then after, like, some stuff I've noticed, but to be honest, we are still trying to work out what works. And I don't think we, we have the, we, we, we are happy with the way we, we host conversations yet. But there are elements of the, the size of the room. So, for instance, our conversation, we... We have between, I think, like six and 40 people. It can, you know, it, it, it really varies. So it's not the same dynamic. Um, a members, uh, one of our members, sorry, uh, recently suggested that we use the fishbowl technique. I don't know if you know about it, but we, we've, we've implemented that. Basically, what we do is that we will tell people, okay, there is a fishbowl that's, let's say, 12 screens. If you don't want to, if you don't want to be on the fishbowl, you just deactivate your camera and you're part of the audience. And if you want to be on the fishbowl, you activate your camera. So people that are on the fishbowl with their camera on are the people that can join the conversation and speak. Um, and if you want to speak, you just activate your camera to join the fishbowl. And then if you want to get some rest, you just deactivate and you go back to the audience. 
And it's a bit, it's a bit complicated because uh, then you have you 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 end up being in the situation where people will be like, oh, I don't see everybody, so I don't feel that safe anymore. Other people will tell you, oh, it's amazing to be here audio only because I can, you know, just listen to the conversation. So we are still trying to to find what what works here. Thanks for sharing. It sounds like part of you, you, you said, you know, everybody's a host and part of prompting conversation online is an exercise in empowering them to be a host and perhaps uh, bring more intention to what they do. Because some of that stuff that like easily happens when we're in person, when, you know, someone can interject or someone can notice that someone else is quiet is, is harder to like sense. And it, it sounds like you're testing different ways to better empower people to kind of speak up or not speak up uh, when they want to, and also call out the things that mm. may or may not happen. Um, yes, it sounds exactly. like an exercise and kind of almost being more explicit because uh, we don't get all of those nonverbal cues with in mm. that we do get with in-person conversation. Yes, yes, exactly. But for me, it's super important. And that's something that has happened since we had to switch uh, online is that the members of Flowers and Friends are really given the opportunity to have an impact in everything that we do. And it's something that being online um, had helped us orchestrate better and that I'm super enthusiastic about because we make this joke. We make this joke within the, the community where we say, oh, we're not a cult <laughs> because we had like, a, if you join our conversation, we'll see we have like a, this like weird hand sign to say that we like something. So we had lots of like some sort of like private joke and and that can make us a bit look like a cult so we like to say we're not a cult by the way and then you have like the <laughs> some members will call me yes of course super leader but that's basically the, the <laughs> joke side of it but um that really says that i want to like for me it's something that we are building together and that's super important and that's why i want this community to be diverse because i think that having a diverse community will enrich the conversation it will enrich what we do with this community it's like it's it's really like a virtuous circle that i'm trying to that we are trying to build and then we really want everything that we do to be amplified by the members and amplified within the community but also within the whole society that's really what I, we want to achieve with what we do you mentioned when you and I were talking that you work with your members on a member playbook so yeah. that members can feel like they're making the most out of their lovers and friends experience. Tell us why building this resource with your community members is important to you. And, you know, how has including them in that process helped them? At the beginning, we wanted to have our community guidelines uh, shared with everybody. But then we realized that coming up with community guidelines was actually something way more complex because you have to think about, okay, what's your mission? What are the principles? What, what, do, you, what do you require from your members? What do they expect from being a member? Thinking about all this, we felt like it's not something that we can do on our own. We had to go through so many things together that we really wanted to understand what brought people together rather than come up with like guidelines that would be, okay, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, and that's it. It was important for us to give the tools to our members to um, succeed. 
So that's why the way we articulated this playbook, we, we have the, the guidelines, like, well, the, the requirements when you are a member, we have our process when it comes to community accountability. So how do you report someone, for instance, if, if they act in a way that's not welcome in the community? But we also have those how-to, like cheat sheets, where we want to give resources for members. So we're working on um, inclusive language, for instance. We have one on how to have fulfilling conversations. Um, because I think what we do at Lovers and Friends is that we will curate people. So there is a form to fill in to become a member and you can be accepted or not. But once you are accepted, once you are part of this community, we, we believe in you and we also believe that no one's perfect. So it's okay to fuck up, as someone put it nice way, nicely recently <laughs> in the community. And it's all about, okay, what's, what happens next? Because everybody can fuck up, but what do you do when it happens? Um, do you have a growth mindset or, or not? Uh, and how us as a community, we, we are accountable to tell you that you acted in a way that, that was unwanted and how us as a community, we give you the, the tools to actually do better and make something positive out of something negative, basically. Sophie, what does this mean to your members to be included so deeply in how the community takes shape? I mean, that's something that you don't always see, um, to have community members pretty much involved in every aspect and how it comes together, how it's governed, how it's moderated, those types of things. So, I mean, I can only imagine that this really helps them feel some sort of, you know, some sense of ownership and some sense of, of, of responsibility for ensuring that this stays um, a safe place for people to have conversations and come together. What have they told you about how this helps them feel and what it does for them and their participation within the online community? So we, we try to have uh, uh, events where we focus on this like work to make the community better. So basically we have a bi-weekly workshop where we work for 90 minutes on a specific topic. So for instance, this bi-weekly workshop, the last three sessions, we were working on community guidelines and it's something that is open to every member. So everybody's welcome to join. And then on the quarterly basis, we have an event, which is, we call it our town hall, where we share everything like finances, strategy, everything. And we ask questions to the members and we, we, we make decisions together. But um, about this bi-weekly workshop, uh, for instance, the last time we had it, one of, um, one of our members actually shared how they felt empowered by the work that we do together but also like how grateful they are because they learn a lot about how to build a community um how to interact better in like society even and um this totally makes sense to me because i am so grateful to be in like to have created this community I am so in love with each and every one of the members. It's like they are so talented and I can understand that when we have conversation, everybody brings their skills. It's so enriching. It's it's amazing, really. How has this community helped you? Like, what does this community mean for you? I mean, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, the, the community members feel about it. And, you know, you said something that I really kind of want to double click on when you said that you were so in love with this community and the members. Tell us more about how this community and seeing these folks come together in that way. What that what does that mean to you? Um, it means that uh, I'm quite emotional, so I quite often end up being like, oh, 
looking at the <laughs> screen of child. Uh, like I look at the screen and I, I, I see everybody and sometimes I'll just... Um, I work with my husband, Sammy. So when we produce an event, sometimes I'll be like camera off, sound off, and I let people talk. And sometimes I will look at him and be like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. I'm so grateful. This is amazing. Just like witnessing how people help each other and knowing that we make this possible. It's like the most amazing thing ever. Um, How this has like... Like my whole life, what I wanted to do was have a positive impact on on society and this is happening so this is like amazing i had those jobs where i had like good salary but i was working for like basically like shareholders and now like i'm working for myself and i'm actually helping people i'm seeing the impact i'm creating relationship improving people's lives it's 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 just like the most amazing thing really um and then on the personal side also it has helped me a lot because in my relationship this helped me um be better at communicating my needs understanding the needs of the of my partner and partners and friends and and also it has helped me be feel stronger about my own identity and um yeah, like, you know, even like in terms of like self-love and accepting who I am. When I think about me as a kid, I'm like, wow, okay, you'd be proud of that. That's cool. I feel like this is aligned with, uh, with, with what, who I am and, uh, and that's, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Aside from an obvious global pandemic right now, what's, what's the biggest challenge that you faced with building this community? I think the biggest challenge, it comes back to growing the right, the right way, which for me means uh, growing in a way that you maintain this like uh, shared intent and uh, diverse uh, community. So I think um, one of the challenges that we, we have is to gain the trust of the less privileged in society so that they can trust us when we say this space is safe and uh, you're welcome here and uh, you you have an amazing time with us this is home join us i think that's that's one of the of the challenges that we have because i feel like if, if you're a privileged person in society it's easier for you to take risks so it's easier for you to join a community like that without really knowing what's what happens behind the, the closed doors and we have to preserve our member privacy so we we cannot share that much so it's finding a way to still make sure that we we can attract the less privileged because for me it's so important because they will bring us like different outlook different experiences they will enrich the conversation and and that's that's key here so that's that's a challenge that that i see yeah, and I think that's a, you know, especially a challenge when you're looking at, you know, creating that type of environment and space for people to come together um, in authentic ways. So, yeah. um, you know, in all that you've you've learned over these these years with building this community, if there's someone out there who's really looking to create an inclusive space, you know, that's welcoming, that's safe, that makes people feel like they can be who they are. What advice would you offer to them if this is something that they're looking to also pers- looking to do? Ah, um, I would say first that uh, selecting the members of this community based on, on, on their value is super important. 
for me, it's super important to be like aligned uh, on these and on, on the intent of this community so that there is like a, a common intent. Then I guess I would, to keep it inclusive, try to avoid using labels to identify who those members are so that it's more something that is wel- welcoming and people won't be like deterred because you, you've used such or such label. But I know it's complicated though not to do this, but I would advise that. Then another thing super important, it's like sharing those guidelines, those like your, ma- your mission so that everybody understands that and that whenever your members join, they feel they're up to speed with each other. For instance, we, we do an onboarding session with your members and I think it's something that's super important to avoid that like new members feel like they're joining something that's clicky or they don't understand the code and they don't really feel welcome or, or they feel like they're the, the newbies basically. So I think it's it's important like the way to, the way you onboard new 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 people in, in your community. And then creating this community accountability and also empowerment. So making people understand that the community is everyone's and that everyone is responsible of what's going on here. And this is your community as well. It's something super important that everybody own this project. Check power dynamics. That's something I kind of brushed with the, this idea of the onboarding, but be careful with power dynamics and also uh, check privileges. Um, it's interesting to see like how the, the the privileges that have an impact on society, how you can make sure that in your community you kind of like make things right and have something fair basically, taking this into account. But really like don't uh, don't close your eyes on, on those. So if you could if you could wave a magic wand and wish anything you wanted for the lovers and friends community, what would you wish for? Um that's a that's a cool question. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of the members would say face to face meeting. Um, and now that we have uh, members like all around the world, well, technically from LA to Tel Aviv, I guess I would ask for uh, teleportation so I could call a meeting anytime, anywhere, <laughs> and have people meet with each other. Yes, oh, and, done. And, and look, and, and look, and look of it. I'm cool, right? Super nice. Huh? So I think I would wish for that. <laughs> um, but then if I, I'm not granted superpowers, um, something more down to earth, I guess I would wish for our community to, to find its people wherever they are and um, have as many local communities as needed so that no no one feels left alone and they know that they can find support and yes be themselves be celebrated as themselves have fulfilling relationships um yeah that's the idea this has been such a awesome <laughs> conversation i have enjoyed talking yes, to you so yes. much Sophie. <laughs> thanks me really too great. <laughs> if Thank you for the magic wanna, wand. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully we can make teleportation happen for you. We're going to work on it. I'm forcing everything possible <laughs> so that it happens. Exactly. Um, if people want to get involved with lovers and friends with the lovers and friends community, how should they go about it? Where can they find you guys? 
Oh, uh, so you can find us on our website, so loversandfriends.com, where you can sign up. Uh, You'll see that uh, it's quite counterintuitive because when you sign up, you basically have to fill in a 20-minute form to uh, send your application. And then we get back to you within, I would say, a week or two max. Um, meanwhile, I highly, highly recommend uh, to check us out on Instagram. Um, it's same, so it's uh, handle is at lovers and friends. Uh, it's, it's it's quite a, a cool spot for us because we share members quotes, member questions, um, we chat about stuff also here, so you can already like engage in conversation with us on on our on, on our Instagram, and uh, feel free also to reach out to send a message. I love to to hear from 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 you so i'll be very happy to get some message about uh, this uh, this recording this podcast that would be amazing well again this has been such a great conversation with you sophie i could talk to you all day but oh, we don't have that kind of time <laughs> <laughs> so i just want to thank you for being a part of the podcast it was amazing chatting with you and i hope more people find their way to you thank you so much marjorie thank you so much kevin If you want to connect with Sophie Mona Paget, you can reach her at loversandfriends.com. That's L-V-R-S-N-F-R-N-D-S.com or on Instagram at loversandfriends. Thank you to our team. Thank you, Rosanna Caban for engineering and editing, Greg David for his design work, and Katie O'Connell for marketing this episode. You can find out more about the work we do as people and company helping organizations get clearer on who their most important communities are and how to build with those people by heading to our website, peopleand.company. And also, if you want to start your own community or supercharge one you're already a part of, our handbook is here for you. You can visit gettogetherbook.com to grab a copy. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like this one. Finally... Uh, please consider reviewing the podcast. Hit subscribe, hit review. Those reviews, those ratings make a big difference and help more people find out about it. Cool. Thank you for hosting this convo, Marjorie. Thank you. This was fun. This was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye.